0: It's earnings season. We discuss Disney's D2C progress, Roku's subscriber growth and ad revenue, Warner Brother Discovery's lost subs, and increased revenue and in dishes satellite loss and sling TV gain.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News and Colin Dixon from End Media is with me. As always, hi there, Colin. How is everything going today?
0: It's good. I am barely able to keep up with all the quarter announcements, Will. Boy, they have been going fast and furious over the last couple of weeks and we're not done. Uh, we are, we're actually recording this on Thursday morning and Vizio has yet to report. They'll report uh, this afternoon. Uh, But I think what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at some of those results, right?
1: I think we are. And I am going to get us started with Disney, whose results are obviously closely watched by everybody with the return of uh, Bob Iger and everybody wanting to see what is going to happen with, of course, with the networks, uh, with ESPN, with Hotstar and uh, everything else at Disney. But overall, I would say on the streaming side, it was... pretty decent quarter. Uh they added seven million subscribers globally. That was really primarily international. It was um it was a quarter of uh growth for international up about six point five million uh subscribers and in the uh, in uh domestic was really just up a smidge about a half a million or so. Revenues uh, DTC revenues were up from $4.5 billion to $5 billion. And perhaps most importantly, the loss in DTC decreased from $1.4 billion a year ago to $420 million in the current quarter. So certainly some progress on subscribers, on revenue, and on narrowing the loss. Still plenty of work to do but the company just you know related to this linear tv remains a uh, sore spot for for disney domestic revenue down 9% from 2.3 billion to 2.1 billion uh and international also down from uh, down about 9%. So we'll talk more about what's going to happen with hulu and, and other stuff but that was I think Basically, basically, the highlights of, of the quarter from a subscriber standpoint.
0: It was Will, and as you say, sort of treading water here in the U.S. They're they're not really gaining any more subscribers. They're not really losing them either, and making minor improvements in ARPU. But you know, listening to the call, will it's it's like I don't, I still don't really think Disney has a solid C strategy in place. But they said, they said a couple of things that they were going to do to, for DDC, And it wasn't immediately apparent that either of them would get them to the sort of scale that Jason Keeler was talking about. When well, we, we talked about what he was talking about, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, about getting to Netflix scale and Netflix cash flow. He said uh, the first thing that they're gonna do is well they're going to spend less on content <laughs> actually they said that they were going to spend even less than they said that they were going to spend the uh, the new CFO is a guy named Hugh Johnson he said that they spent about 27 billion in 2023 and that they were going to spend 2 billion less in 2024 25 billion uh, but actually he said that they were increasing their target reduction from Three billion to 4.5 billion so he says really that their target reduction now is to 22 billion now if they do that uh, he also followed through and said that 40% of the spend goes to sports so that means that they'll be spending about 13 billion on content for Hulu and for Disney plus uh, so that's quite a bit below what Netflix is spending. Netflix says they're spending $17 billion. Their modus operandi here seems to be basically to create better content, create less content, but make sure it's better. Uh, they talked about they were definitely doing that at the studios, and the studios are really keen to key to Disney+, Plus, right? So they're doing that. That seems to be their content strategy and their other strategy changes Hulu and Disney plus they're putting them together in a single service they that's going to go into beta I think very soon in a single app the hope is that the two will help each other and maybe help them start growing again here in the US I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see but certainly the way they're pricing it at least now if you want if you want Hulu and you want to watch ad-free, then you might as well get the Disney Duo because it's only two bucks more. It's nineteen ninety-nine versus seventeen ninety-nine for Hulu on its own ad-free. So I don't know. I don't know if that will get it growing again. What do you think?
1: Well, I think there's certainly some um, you know UI benefit to having uh, all the content within one app rather than having to force users to go to two different apps. So I, I think there is benefit there. How much, to your point, how much benefit, I, I agree, is not is not uh, clear yet. But, um, you know, but the bundling strategy, I think, is really where Disney's head is for now. Um, you know, again, remains to be seen what the results are, but I think that's their main play and that, as we talked about last week, is, um, you know, to some extent, a... Uh, You know, copying the playbook of, you know, an aggregated model from the pay TV world, trying to bring as much content into one interface as possible.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, that's certainly what Kilo was was recommending. Right. He was recommending to to put a whole bunch more content in one app. You know, one of the things that I really didn't I still don't really get is what their plans are really with ESPN. Uh, they didn't really give much information except that it was going to be they kept calling it espn digital in the call wheel didn't give any pricing information or anything really about what's going to be in there except that they're you know get are they're, they're gonna sort of have a two stream strategy where they'll continue to make it available through the bundle but they'll use technology partners and marketing partners and distribution partners to distribute it on digit as a standalone product there too uh, funny thing was uh, bob iger was so proud of the fact that espn is the number one brand on tiktok he, he said that at one point in the call he said it had 44 million followers I don't know if he thinks if he thinks that that's an indication that a, there's a whole bunch of young people that will subscribe to ESPN or not. But I don't think that really has much bearing on that at all. Do you? I mean, they're, right. they're watching sixty-second snippets of ESPN for free on TikTok, and are they really going to start pony up? What well, it's going to be at least twenty bucks, right? Uh, are they going to pony up twenty bucks to watch long games on ESPN? I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I think 20s on the low end also, I, I think more like 30 or 40 per month is more likely. And uh, I assume when he was talking about it being the number one content brand on TikTok, he also uh, did not mention what kind of revenue they're generating from that, which I'm guessing in the scheme of Disney's overall financials are pro- is probably pretty negligible.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably a, a, a rounding
1: error. Rounding error, exactly. Um, so anyway yeah I think anything else on Disney or should we move on to the next why
0: don't we move on to Roku Roku had a pretty decent quarter as well it gained a pretty decent increase in active users they went from 73.5 last quarter to 75.8 so that's like a 2.3 gain 2.3 million gain Uh, so that's all to the good they also saw a a modest increase in ARPU average revenue per active user which went from $40.70 to $41.03 this is still really not doing anything much though because if you go back to 22q3 a year ago, it was $44.03. So it's still, you know, $3, more than $3 below where it was back then. And they continue to complain about the ad market, will this, you know, saying it's just not strong. And it's kind of funny to me because I've been looking at some of the other results, and we haven't got to, we haven't mentioned Paramount yet. But I noted Paramount said that advertising revenue was up thirty percent in the D to C business, and I also uh, noted that uh, a couple of other companies, uh, Vizio, has also been having pretty good results in the ad market despite the, this this turn down. Uh, so you know they can continue to complain about that retarding their ARPU growth Uh, but apart from that uh, I think they are still doing they still seem to be doing pretty well they're growing modestly the streaming minutes per day they were up from so this is per active user from 228 minutes per day in Q2 to 236 so that's an eight minute increase and I think that really helped drive uh, a, some increase in, in ARPU and probably that increase in ARPU I called out to 4103 comes from that increase in the streaming minutes that people are, people are watching not from an increase in CPMs so, you know, pretty decent results overall there. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I might give it a I think maybe a slightly more optimistic uh take, Colin. The um I mean if you look at platform revenue from a year ago uh it was you know about um six sixty seven. Now it came in at seven eighty-seven, so up hundred and twenty, that's eighteen percent ahead of a year ago. And gross profit was up, uh, was mostly flat, up a little bit, a couple of percentage points. So I think we've talked about this before, but given the state of the ad market, I I, I tend to think that um, flat is the new up, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know they are flat on platform gross profit, but well up on platform revenue. You know just I think relative to the others that you mentioned a company like Vizio is much earlier into the ad space than is uh, Roku the numbers are much smaller and I think that obviously gives them some advantage in terms of you know any incremental shifting of revenue of uh, ad spend over to to Vizio is going to have a much bigger percentage impact than uh, what we see with Roku which is a much more mature platform so I think that uh, again. I think overall it was pretty solid. We'll talk about Warner in a second. They were uh, also calling out the softness in the ad market, the uncertainty going forward, and I think everybody's kind of experiencing the same thing. And um, you know, for Roku to turn in these results, I think it's uh, I think it's still very very solid
0: yeah yeah maybe maybe you're right uh, they uh, in in the earnings call they actually gave us a little bit of detail which we haven't had before will they they talked about they must have said this like three or four times they seem to be very proud of the fact that they're approaching they said approaching half of u.s homes have an active roku in them so i you know i sort of did a little bit of mouth math to try and figure out how many that might be and That would mean that about 57 million have at least one active Roku device in it. Uh, That's about half of the the occupied homes in the U.S. today. And that then, since there are 75.8 million active Roku accounts, that means that about 75% of them are in the U.S. and 25% are in the international markets. So you know that that was pretty interesting. But the one thing I would note is that when they say they they can reach those many houses, uh, the interesting thing is that they they probably own, aren't the only television, the the only TV OS rather in those homes. There'll be a few homes that do have all Roku TVs but Americans continue to have a mix of televisions in their home. I think I saw data saying 2.3 TVs per home um, on average which is actually lower than it has been in the past and I was looking at some TiVo data which basically says that uh, the most number of smart TV owners with a single brand is Samsung with 21% but really nobody else owns quote owns a home so LG is much much lower you know two two TVs with LG that's only 8.6% of homes so the vast majority of homes mix and match and the other thing there is that I saw some new data from Aluma Research that shows that people are actually keeping their televisions a little bit longer. In twenty twenty two, the primary te- televisions are on average three point eight years old, which is up from oh, well three point seven nine um that sorry that was in 2022 and it was up in 2023 to 3.84 so people are keeping their TVs longer so the primary TV is sticking around a bit longer and really that's where Roku is seeing biggest growth right in smart TV turnover so that could be slowing down as well so uh you know in, in general I think that thinking that Roku owns those those 57 million homes in the U.S. is probably not right. Most of them have some other TV operating system, maybe in the bedroom or in their primary room.
1: Yeah, and of course, uh, then there needs to probably be the next level of analysis where there is a uh, mixing and matching of brands and devices within a home, how much usage is spent on each device and how does that skew. So that would add even more color potentially to... The you know idea of ownership in a home. Yeah, yeah,
0: I'm sure it does, and I'm, gonna I that. we're not going to know that. But uh, I, of course, what you would expect is the what the primary TV in yeah. the den or wherever it is most people w- spend watching. That's going to get the most usage. But uh, you know, it's it's interesting that people aren't in general matching the TV OSs in in different rooms to the one that they have in the primary room. But anyway. Sure. Maybe we should move on to our next candidate, which, as you said, was WB Discovery.
1: Yeah. So, um, in focusing strictly on the direct to consumer, the DTC segment in, uh, in Warner Brothers Discovery, um, a, uh, decrease of 700,000 subscribers in, um, the, in the latest quarter and, uh, Sort of following on um, what we saw with uh, Disney, that reflects a domestic loss. Excuse me, a domestic loss of one point four million, and of subscribers, and a um, international gain of seven hundred thousand subscribers. So, um, similar to Disney, we see international being really the the engine here, rather than uh, domestic. same time, ARPU was up in uh, actually in both sec in both areas in uh, domestic it was up from a year ago eleven dollars and nine cents up to eleven dollars and twenty nine cents so a slight increase there in the current quarter, domestically and international uh, also up a bit um, from a year ago three dollars and sixty five cents per sub to uh, three dollars and seventy eight cents per sub so. Um, ARPU up uh, ARPU up in both, which is a positive sign, um, at the same time, uh, profitable for the quarter, 111 million of adjusted EBITDA in, uh, in, in the quarter for 23. That's a huge improvement versus the loss of 634 million um, a year ago. You know, looking at the breakout of the financials, there are a lot of different things that are going on, probably, Uh, Just to call out a few, uh, a nice gain in advertising, up from 106 million a year ago to 138 million, a 30% increase. That certainly reflects the growth of the um, number of Max subs that are taking the ad-supported plan. Uh, But also some other big contributors that are, you know, not necessarily repeatable. So things like um, selling general administrative contributed about 380 million of um, improvement in this year's uh, quarter down to 453 million from 833 a year ago. That's probably related to a lot of cost cutting that the company has done. Um, Cost of revenue also down uh, by about, I think about 250 million or so, 240 million um, that probably reflects some of the, uh, savings due to the, um, due to the, uh, strikes, the actors and the writer strikes. So not clear how much of that profit was sort of one time-ish, but, you know, but for sure it's, you know, better to show a profit than a loss. And, and that was a nice swing. And they also just outside of max, they called out the, um, that during the quarter, they, Launched, I think we've talked about this before, the um, CNN Max streaming service in uh, the U.S. that launched on September 27th, and um, they also launched in early October the uh, what they're calling the Bleacher Report Sports add-on tier, which we've also talked about in the past. So you know they're making, I think they're making some good moves. There are larger company issues related to. The um, amount of debt, I think, still about forty-five billion. They called out the uncertainty in the advertising market. Certainly, that echoed what we heard uh, from others this quarter. You know, Roku included, and remains a a work in in progress, a work in process, I guess. Right, Tom?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it does, and. You know, I was puzzling over these these numbers, particularly the ARPU numbers, will, and trying to figure out where that increase came from. Uh, one of the things I saw called out in the press was the price increases, but I'm pretty sure that they didn't really increase prices. They haven't increased prices recently in the U.S. What they did do was they added a tier of service, so that so that I think they've kept their ad-supported tier at ten dollars the non-ad supported at 15 and they've added a premium tier at 20. And basically what they've done in that premium tier is they've pushed things like, well, I think the primary benefit is being able to watch in ultra HD and high def and using Dolby Atmos. So I think main most of the ARPU increase I think has come from that really impressive increase in the advertising, which is 30% and maybe a little bit of the increase in the US came from people who stepped up to the higher tier to maintain ultra HD access but uh, apart from that I really can't see any big benefits there was um, part of the part of the drop in the subscriber subscriber numbers the total number of subscribers was Apparently, they were saying that that was due to people in Dis, who have Discovery Plus, who have actually dropped Discovery, who had Discovery Plus and HBO uh, Max, rather had Max dropping discovery plus because now all of the discovery plus content was available in max so there was no point in having discovery plus anymore so uh, there's that but uh, you know that arpu that arpu increase is a little bit a uh, little bit difficult to grok i think it's probably a combination of the advertising the boost in advertising and the addition of that premium tier uh, but uh, I, I what i can tell you is the market absolutely hated the results and <laughs> Stock tanked after after they announced them, so you know. But I don't know. I think they're they're starting to to do some good things. Putting that sports tier in there, I think, is good. And the CNN is a really good addition. Having yeah. having live news in in the platform, I think, could make it into exactly what they want it, which is a daily platform for many people. Because if they can get people in watching news, they can probably get in and watch watching a bunch of other stuff as well and and get those hours up and that'll help boost the advertising revenue if they're on the ad tier.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And also we're going into an election year. So Uh, viewership of all news, consumption of all news is no doubt going to be increasing over the next uh, 12 months or so.
0: I think it will,
1: but uh, I think
0: we're probably done with Warner.
1: Yeah, let's go on to the last, go for it.
0: Well, we, we should talk about Dish Network kind of an ugly story here but not totally awful. <laughs> we'll get to that in just a second. They lost 64,000 pay TV subscribers, net, a net of 64,000 pay TV subscribers uh, compared with a gain of 30,000 one year ago and a decline of 294,000 in the second quarter of the year. This was pretty bad and I, I have a feeling that the losses were much worse because they usually give the net loss, which includes sling, and it turns out sling actually gained. They added 117,000 subscribers in the last quarter to get to 212 which was, I thought, pretty, a pretty good result and actually reflective, I think, generally of some brightness, I think, in the virtual MVPD market because Fubo had a pretty good quarter as well they increased their, the number of subscribers in Q3. We, we, this was actually a big surprise, Will, because remember, they, they stuck their subscribers with a really big increase at the beginning of year to both a $5 increase in the base package. And they also started charging a minimum of $8 and maybe even $13 for the RSNs and here they are they turn around and they actually increase the number of subscribers pretty significantly it went up an impressive 27% or 310,000 over Q2 this I mean as I say with this huge price increase I thought that that was a pretty impressive impressive thing to to execute so one of the things I really like that Sling is doing and maybe helping is that they're really leaning into fast market so you can have Sling TV without paying. There are hundreds of fast channels now available through through Sling. And if you combine that with an antenna which you can do through one of their boxes, then you can have all of those Sling all of those fast channels and your local channels all combined into a single guide and you can of course record those those local channels and that's a perfect vehicle for them to continue to nudge people to upgrade and get one of the sling subscription packages so i think that strategy seems to be working really well for the company what's not working well is satellite satellite is just not in a very good place in the market right now uh, and this is actually generally reflective of other results that we've seen. Comcast lost a whole bunch of subscribers as well. It looks to me like when, we, when we're when we done counting everything, that the traditional pay TV market, that's not including the virtual MVPDs, will be down about 12% from Q3 2022, uh, which is a little bit of an acceleration from from where we were in 2022. So it looks like the the story for traditional pay TV ain't getting any better, Will.
1: Yeah, that is for sure, Colin. That's been the story across uh, all of the, the companies that have reported so far. There was a time when we thought the virtuals might pick up some of the, or most of the slack, but I think the reality is that has not been happening, it's not going to happen. So all the big media companies, the ones that we've, discussed today and others are chasing the same basic goal which is streaming profitability and uh, there are a lot of different levers at work as you mentioned content uh, investments um, costs distribution branding advertising a lot of different international versus domestic uh, so a lot of different variables in the mix
0: Yeah, there certainly are. And they are pulling all the levers right now to make it work. But, well, I, you know, it'd be really interesting to see how many of them are able to get to Jason Kyler's Netflix scale and interesting cash flows. How many people, how many of those broadcasters can can get there? I can tell you right now, looking at the numbers, most of them, their revenue is still dominated by traditional pay television and traditional broadcast media and that has to change if they're going to really survive and continue to make uh, a good living in the market but you know that's that's what we're here for we're here to track that transition and keep an eye on how they're doing
1: absolutely i think that's it for this week right con you bet okay good chatting thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you all again next week Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen screen media and video news, all rights reserved.